Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast, which gives you greater assurance that you won't fall, how long you can hold on to a rope, or how long a rope can hold on to you. Lead teacher Jeff Norris finishes the series Heaven with this sermon entitled Assurance of Heaven, which covers Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 to 12, Philippians 1 16, Ephesians 1 13 and 14, John 10 27 to 29, and Romans 8 30 and 35 to 39. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. All right, let me pray for us, and I'm excited, really excited about finishing up this series and where we're headed this morning. Let me pray. Father, would you indeed, through the power of your Holy Spirit, bless and anoint this time in your word this morning? Would you speak to us? We invite you, as we do each week, to soften our hearts, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and would you press deep within us an assurance of your finished work, Jesus, and all the implications that come with that. So we thank you, we love you, we give this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I, wanna, it, I wanna say yet again that uh, we're in the fourth week of this Heaven series. We planned it to be just four weeks, many, many months ago, and um, there's so much that we're not hitting on. I feel certain that at some point we'll come back around and do a part two to this. But in the, in the meantime, here's what I want you to do. There are resources in our bookstore and they're gonna be listed. The resources that I'm recommending are gonna be listed on perimeter.org slash Norris. So if you wanna go there and check those out, please do. But those resources, many of them are also available in our bookstore. Those are so good. I've tried to recommend things that for the most part are very approachable, not overwhelming, not 500 pages, but something that you can read and get a, a deeper continuing education on where the Bible and where the Lord is leading us as it pertains to heaven and what's to come in the new heavens and the new earth. I wanna mention again, we, we recorded a, a week ago, a Digging Deeper podcast where we answered a lot of important questions on heaven. Uh, I've been receiving great feedback on that. If you haven't listened to that, please check that out. We're gonna do another one uh, a week from tomorrow. And let me just give you a preview of what we're gonna touch on there. We're bringing in a couple of guests uh, to be at the table with us. And uh, we're gonna be hitting things like, what will our resurrected bodies be like? When we, when we think about this whole new heavens and new earth and the, the realness of the physical reality of that, that we will be on this earth and just as real as you and I are sitting here today on chairs, we'll be doing that in the new heavens and the new earth and it's, it's a physical reality. But yet Jesus, when he resurrected, gave us a picture, a little foretaste of the resurrected body to where they're touching his scars and his hands and they're seeing him and he's real, he's eating fish, but yet he also walked through a, lock, a locked door. What do we do with that? What does that mean about what can we expect if we are the first fruits of the resurrection just like him? We're raised to newness of life in Christ. Does that, is that just spiritual or are there physical realities to that uh, resurrected body that we can expect? What about our work now? What we do, what we labor, our occupation, uh, since God ordained work before sin came into the world, will we work in the new heavens and the new earth? And if so, what's that gonna look like? 
And will we do that for all of eternity? Won't that get old? Won't that be boring? We'll talk about that in this next podcast. The Bible says that God will renew all things. How do we understand the difference between God saying that he's not using the word remade, he's using the word renew. So what what does that mean? Uh, What about, does God care about the physical things of the world now? Are there things that are gonna last in the new heavens and new earth that are present now from a physical standpoint? In other words, I was told for years and years and years that the only thing that mattered was that the only things that lasted forever were God, his word, and the souls of men. Well, is that what the Bible teaches? Of course, those matter immeasurably. But is there more that God is interested in as, as we're talking about the holistic nature of what he's going to redeem? And with that, asking the question, doesn't everything burn up in the end anyway? So if things do matter now in our work and the physical spaces that we are, what about, doesn't the Bible say it's all gonna burn up? So how do we make sense of all this? That's where we'll be headed in this podcast that we're recording in about a week. So just a, a little bit of a preview there and um, want you to be looking forward to that. So where we've been in this series is this, we are to, to long for what's to come. We are to hope for what's to come and to really embrace the reality of what's to come with heaven. Heaven as, as it exists now and then heaven as it will be when Christ returns as he brings heaven to earth in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we, we, begin to, um, we begin to really get our minds infatuated with this in a good way till we say, wow, this is gonna be incredible. I can't wait for this. But for many of us, here's where the rubber meets the road. And it's simply with this question. Is there a way to know? Is there a way to have assurance, full assurance, that heaven is where I'll be? I get really excited thinking about what's to come. But is there any assurance? Many years ago, when in my first year in ministry, uh, we were living, living in uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And one, I believe it was a Saturday afternoon, I was in our little house there and playing some worship songs on my guitar. Rachel was out. And, uh, you know, I was being the typical 23-year-old Christian. You'd sit in your house and try to play worship songs, right? And uh, this guy, uh, get a knock at the door, and it's a guy wanting to sell life insurance, and so I told him fairly quickly, hey, you know, thanks, but I'm not interested. And he said, well, I heard you playing, you were playing a worship song, right? And I said, uh, yeah. And he said, oh, that's great. And, and we began to talk about church and following Christ. And I said, why don't you come on in? Let's, you know, I'd be happy to chat with you. And I asked him where he went to church and he told me. And in the course of our conversation, at some point he said this, he said, well, you know, it wasn't until just a few years ago that I learned and understood for the first time that the only way I can know that I have assurance of salvation and of heaven is that I, that I speak in tongues. And I, I said, oh, really? Well, tell me more about that. And so he began to tell me more and I listened and uh, eventually I, I said, well, let me just ask you a question because I, I would say I'm not, I don't agree with you in that, that speaking in tongues is not the sign that we is the only sign or is a sign that God gave us to, the, the, the only way we could be sure. 
And I said, for example, um, are you familiar with 1 John 5, verse 13? And he said, well, sure I am, but r- remind me. And so I read it to him. I said, uh, this is the apostle John when he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And I asked this brother, I said, hey, um, so here's a question for you. John states explicitly there why he wrote the letter to these churches. And what would you say was the explicit reason as to why he wrote it? And he said, that they could know that they have eternal life. I said, yeah, absolutely. Do you find it interesting that he would write a letter with the purpose of giving Christians the assurance of eternal life and not once mention anything about speaking in tongues? How, how, why would he write a letter giving assurance to believers but not bring up speaking in tongues if that's the sign of assurance, if that's the only way we can know? And he leaned back in his chair and he said, hmm, I've never thought about that. Now listen, this is not a sermon on speaking in tongues. That's, I'm not gonna go down that, that trail today, maybe at some point. But it is a sermon about, I can't stay seated forever. I just have to move. If, if I fall down, I'll just preach on the ground. Um, It, what, what is the sermon about is this. He, he definitely uh, brings out the reality that most of us feel and, and church history has proven, which is this. We will come up with many reasons and things to give us assurance that the Bible never tells us. The Bible didn't, doesn't teach us that speaking in tongues is, is a sign of the assurance of your salvation. But we'll come up with all kinds of things. This started long ago in the history of the church. Thomas Aquinas, one of the great uh, theologians way back in his day, who really was the, who, who many would say was the author of what became modern Catholic theology. He had 11 different steps, sacraments as he called them. 11, that if you kept all 11, then you could know that you were gonna go to heaven. But if you didn't keep all 11, then you, then you had question. It was, it was doubtful at best. We've been doing this for a long time. How can I know? How can I know? And so we come up with things and we say, this is what the Bible teaches, but the Bible's actually explicitly clear on this issue. And and what's true of humans is this. All of us feel the doubt, every single one of us. In, In the greatest moments of our weakness and sin, we question. And a lot of times, the reason that we question, is there, do I have assurance that I'm going to heaven is because the anchor of that assurance has been sunk into the murky and muddy waters of our ability to retain it or to lose it. Rather than into the crystal clear, healing, purifying, cleansing waters of the finished work of Jesus. We get so fixated on what am I doing versus on what has he done. And so the Bible would answer the question, can I know, can I have assurance that heaven will one day be my reality? And the Bible says, absolutely. And it tells us many times over. So we'll do a flyover. We'll do a flyover of what all the Bible, not what all, because I'm just gonna hit on a few because of time this morning, but let me just give you a few of the Bible speaking explicitly about 
how we can know and have assurance. We'll start with Philippians 1.6. As the apostle Paul writes the Philippian church, he says, and I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Now, if, if we didn't have this last little part of the verse, then we might even figure out a way to interpret that in such a way that says, we'll bring it to completion. Like, okay, so what does that mean, when? And he, he says for us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Meaning when Christ returns and makes all things new, he who began a good work in you, the redemptive work of God in you as a follower of him who has, who has believed upon Jesus, as Caleb said earlier, the one who we stake our lives upon, He's our assurance. He will bring the work that he began to completion. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, again, the Apostle Paul, right in the church in Ephesus, he says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I'll come back to that word. Who is the guarantee of what? Of our inheritance, What's our inheritance? Well, it's the, it's the life to come for the believer until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. This imagery is used in, um, in kingdoms of that day where once there was something that went out from the monarchy, an official letter, that it would be stamped with wax, sealed, and could only be opened by the recipient. And if, it were, if that seal were broken, then the message then was not carried. Guarantee this, the, the, the spirit that we receive, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, we receive him. He indwells us upon faith in Christ. And he is the guarantee of our inheritance. He is. Not what we do or don't do, what we might feel like we've done to lose it or retain it. He is the guarantee for our inheritance. John 10, 27 through 29 says, my sheep, this is Jesus speaking, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Listen, the security that Jesus is conveying here is astonishing. He's saying, my sheep hear my voice. And by the way, he's talking in the context to Pharisees. And he's saying, you don't hear my voice because you're not my sheep. But my sheep, they hear my voice and no one can snatch them out of my hand. So think about what's being said here. The second person of the Trinity, God eternal. Jesus, the son of God is saying, no one can snatch them out of my hand. But if that weren't enough, if that were not enough security, he's also saying, and my father also, first person of the Trinity, the father also, no one can snatch them out of his hand. As if to say, there are two sets of eternal, irrevocable, all powerful hands securing our eternity. If you think that you can do something to negate the power of God the Son and God the Father holding you in their hands and promising you that nothing can snatch them, uh, you out of their hands, then we're believing something that is illogical. 
illogical at best and insane at worst. If Jesus gives us a promise like that, how dare we think that there's something we can do to undo the loving hands of the Son and the Father around us, gripping us for all of eternity? Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Theologians call this the, um, the golden chain of salvation. Some call it the unbreakable chain of salvation. Randy has taught this for years at Perimeter, and I realize I've already brought up some things in this sermon that you go, those are huge things, and yeah, I'm not gonna teach on them. I've brought up speaking in tongues, and now I've read a verse with predestination in it. And those are different sermons for a different day, but the point of this verse is to say what God began before time began, predestination. He predestined those who were his, that he sees the finished product of this chain, this golden chain of salvation, because he's outside of space and time, that he sees the finished product of the glorified believer in Jesus now. Did you, do you see what, what he's saying here? He says, those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. That's when we became believers, that he declared us righteous in him when he saved us and placed our faith in Christ. And then watch what he skips. He says, and those whom he justified, you would think he would say he also sanctified because sanctification is the process that we're in now if you're a follower of Jesus where you're being made more every day into the image of Jesus. But he doesn't even mention that. Why? Because it's not needed from the standpoint that it's so sure. Paul says, I'll just go ahead and jump to glorified, which is what happens when we're made new in the presence of Jesus. And he's saying, look, it's so sure that I'm gonna go ahead and declare it done. Because outside of space and time, the eternal father has decreed it to be so. So he who predestined had also glorified past tense. So when he looks at you and me right now, if you are in Christ, he sees the finished product now, which is fully, completely made new, whole, glorified in the presence of the glorious one. There's so much more I could hit on. Also in Romans 8 and in Galatians 4, Paul gives this analogy of adoption. And we understand with adoption that uh, in, the, in the Roman context that adoption was more binding than biological children. That if you go through the paperwork and legality of adopting a child, you cannot give them back. But if, in terms of you have to give them your inheritance, but if you uh, don't wanna give your inheritance to a biological child, then legally you, you have that right. The end of Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Can anything basically separate us? And the answer is no. In all things, through Jesus in us, we are more than conquerors. So the Bible very clearly, explicitly teaches that there is assurance upon assurance upon assurance. So why do we doubt so much? Well, I'll, I'll say this. One is because, like I said earlier, the anchor of our assurance is too often sunk into the, the bedrock of our ability. What we perceive is our ability to either retain the assurance or to lose it, rather than on the finished work of Jesus. But it's, there's also, perhaps for you, if you have read your Bible, there's one passage that I, that's been brought up to me time and time again that says, well, this one, what about this one? This one trips me up. And it's found in Hebrews 6. We'll look at it briefly here. 
But in Hebrews chapter six, there's a passage that uh, most people just say, oh, gosh, I hope no one ever asked me about that because it scares us to death. And let me just say this before I read it. There's a principle that we're gonna see at play here that is incredibly important in biblical interpretation, the way we read and interpret the scriptures, hermeneutics, as we call it. And, and what you're taught uh, in seminary is that it, with this discipline of interpreting the scriptures, we always, always, always have to interpret scripture with scripture. In other words, if you come across a verse or a passage that seems to be saying something different from the whole of the rest of scripture, then it's not saying what you think it is. And so we look at it and we go, okay, if I take this and extrapolate it and say, and build a whole theology on it, when, the, when clearly his uh, uh, scripture has clearly spoken on this issue in a, in a myriad of other places, then instead of extrapolating it and say, well, this is what I'm gonna now base my opinion on, let's put it back with all the others and try to figure out how is this saying something that doesn't appear on the surface. We've just read all these verses that clearly show that there is assurance upon assurance. So as we get to Hebrews 6, we have to ask the question, how do we interpret this with the rest of scripture? So in verse four, it says this, for it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land has drunk the rain, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those, uh, to those for whose sake it is cultivated, cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his, for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patient, patience inherit the promises. A few things I wanna point out to you real quick, some things that are important to understanding this passage correctly. The first one is this. Notice the language that the author of Hebrews is using. In the verses leading up, the trouble verses are verses four through six. Those are the ones that cause us to shudder and go, oh my goodness. Notice though, the pronouns that he's using in the verses leading up to four through six, we didn't read those. You can look at those on your own. And in the verses after six, following six. In the verses leading up, he's using second person plural pronouns. We, us. Then he gets to verse four through six and it shifts. And now he's using third person plural pronouns. He's saying they, those. In other words, he's using language of we and us as it pertains to when he's teaching on uh, who we are as the church, but then all of a sudden he shifts as he talks about those who are impossible to save, if you will, and he talks about them, they, those, not a part of the body of Christ. 
It is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have been enlightened. And that's where I wanna talk about second. Notice the words of indication. There's three really important words used here in verses four through six. First one is enlightened. The second one is tasted. And the third one is shared. It's impossible to restore again to those who have been enlightened versus who have saving knowledge. Uh, it's impossible to restore again those who have tasted rather than eaten, ingested. It's impossible to restore again those who have shared versus those who have owned. Suddenly it starts to become clear that the author of Hebrews is talking about those who are part of the visible church but not the invisible church. In other words, they're a part of the community of God in that they are around the enlightening of the teaching of the word of God, but they don't have saving knowledge. They've tasted of the bread of who Jesus is, the bread of life, but they've never, for the sake of analogy, ingested him. They never believed upon him. They've never eaten of him. As Jesus says in John 6, if you wanna have a part of me, then you must eat and drink of my flesh. Spiritually, you have to stake your life on me. Uh, those who have shared in the promise of the Holy Spirit. So they've been a part of the body of the Christ. They've shared in what happens as we gather together, but it's not their own. They haven't owned this faith in a way that would re require um, the staking of life through faith in Jesus to say he is mine and I am his and whatever he calls me to. In other words, uh, these are people who want the benefit of Jesus and the benefit of the gathered corporate body of Jesus, but they don't want the sacrifice that comes with it. They don't want to really surrender all of life to him. It's just more about the game of religion. And then the author of Hebrews says this, you can tell who these people are by their fruit, ultimately. In verses seven and eight, he says, for when the rain falls on the land and it produces good fruit, a crop useful for those whose sake it's cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, near to being cursed, then its end is to be burned. In other words, what's coming out of the person? If you have the Holy Spirit, then spirit fruit comes out, not perfectly, because we still battle sin, but it, you'll see it. Jesus talked about this. You'll be able to tell them by their fruit. But you may say, well, what about these people that I know that, my goodness, they produced all kinds of what seemed to be spiritual fruit and then they denounced the faith. Well, that's the second thing he says. The second evidence of someone who can have assurance is not just that there's fruit, but that there's also perseverance to the very end. We've known of people who uh, produced a lot of fruit, then denounced the faith, and then it later in their life came back to the faith and just said, you know what, that whole time, I was pretty good at playing the church game and I fooled a lot of people, but now I've truly come to repentance. Well, that's a person who is persevering to the end, even though there's all kinds of baggage in their life. But if you have someone who seemingly produced a lot of fruit and then denounced the faith and never came back to the faith, and we would say biblically from what the whole of scripture speaks, says, well, this is just a person who is wanting to share in Christ, but never truly surrender to him. They never knew Jesus. They didn't lose their salvation. They didn't have heaven and then lose it. They never had it. 
Because the author of Hebrews, I don't know if you caught it, his intention in this passage is not to scare individuals into thinking you can lose it all, but to actually give you assurance. Watch what happens. Verse nine, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Now he's back to talking to those who have trusted Jesus, who own him, who don't just share, but own, who don't just taste, but eat. Those who aren't just enlightened, but know Jesus. And he says, we feel sure of better things. What? Things that belong to salvation. Those other things that we're talking about, they were saved. But those who were in Christ we're sure of better things. What are those better things? Look at verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. That's the, that's the point of this passage. We read verses four through six and we freak out. Keep reading. The author of Hebrews actually wants to give us assurance. And where does that assurance come? You keep reading. Look at verse 19 in chapter six. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. A sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. Where who? Where Jesus has gone on our behalf. When he died, when he took his last breath on the cross, what happened in the temple? The curtain that stood for so many generations between the people of God and the presence of God ripped from top to bottom, not bottom up, top to bottom as if God said, I'm ripping this now through the finished work of Jesus and you have full access into my presence, not just now, but for all of eternity, not based on your ability or inability, but on the finished work of Jesus. That's our hope. He's our anchor. He's the one in whom our assurance dwells. Many years ago, not long after that man came to my door, those of another faith came to my door. I've told this story before. I'll tell it again briefly because it illustrates the point. And they came to my door and they were trying to get me to believe what they believe. And it was under the guise that they, we believe the same thing you believe. Well, if that's the case, then why are we not agreeing? And why are you not leaving? Because they kept wanting to convince me. I didn't want them to leave, but I said, well, can I ask you a question? So two questions. One, if we died right now and all of a sudden you're standing before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? What do you say? And they fairly quickly said to each of them, said, uh, I mean, you know, sought to be faithful and try to be good and, and yeah, I mean, basically, I hope it was enough. Try to live a good life for you, Lord. And I said, okay, based on a, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being 100% sure, zero being never in a million years, how sure of you you'd get into heaven? How, would he say, yes, that's sufficient, come on in? And they said, oh, you know, I, I think one set of six and the other set of seven. And our response to, I had a friend with me and our response to them was this, help me understand how that's good news. 
You've come to my door preaching what you say is the gospel to me, and you're telling me at the end of it all that I've got a 60 to 70% chance of getting in. How's that good news? And do you understand, friends? This is what we told them. Do you understand that what you're basing everything on is your ability? Now, I don't, I don't wanna offend you, but you think a lot of yourself. If you think you got a 60 or 70% chance, then we got a deep misunderstanding because I know if it's based on me, it's a zero. I got 0% chance of getting in because I am all kinds of messed up. But there's one. There's one who was not messed up in any way who went behind the curtain on my behalf. And he was perfect. And my faith is in him. My faith is in his finished work. And it's on his perfect ability to hold me and never let me go. So that's why I'm 100%. It's not arrogance. It's resting in what the Bible teaches me about the gospel of Jesus. So can you have assurance? Absolutely. Based on you? Never. Based on the one who is our sure anchor and steadfast anchor of the soul who went behind the curtain for us on our behalf. So that when you and I take our last breath, we open our eyes to his glory and it's sure. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are the sure and steadfast anchor of our souls. The one who lived on our behalf, the one who died on our behalf and the one who defeated death on our behalf. The one in whom we now anchor not just this life, but our life for all of eternity because you are the one together with the Father who holds us in your hand. Oh, Jesus, press this deep into our hearts to where we will cease doubting and know that the Holy Spirit changes us, that we begin to want to love and obey you all the more because of this assurance. Thank you, Lord. We wanna worship you now. Receive our praises with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.